episode 174, Identifying Biomechanical Failure Patterns. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today, we're Dr. Rob Pape's Perspective. Join 2017 and 18 Podcast Awards-nominated host and best-selling author on Amazon as we get a behind-the-curtain look at all types of doctor and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Happy belated Easter, everybody. I hope you had a fantastic time reconnecting with family and friends. And of course, celebrating the awesomeness of forgiveness. Today on the show, Dr. Pape is a part of the umbrella of Southeast Sports Seminars. The head honcho of that is Dr. Todd Riddle and his wife, Jessica. And there were a lot of people mentioned on this episode. For instance, if you wanted to know more about Southeast Seminars, you can listen to episode 89. And that is Jessica Riddle's episode. We talk about Factor, which is Dr. Todd Riddle's brainchild. That's episode 85. And today, Quadrant Analysis, episode 174. And then the next episode, actually, is Dr. Tom Teeter with Rehab to Fitness, and his is 175. We've also mentioned Dr. Benjamin Fergus with Grip Approach. That's episode 115. Dr. Chris Chippendale with Patient-Centered Decision-Making and Communication. That's episode 169. And also Dr. Erson Rigilioso, episode 106, about modern manual therapy, cash practice, physical therapy type of stuff. And of course, the FTCA, which is the forwardthinkingchiro.com alliance. So in essence, you would take Dr. Riddle's factor course to learn the myofascial release, the cupping, the bands, and all that. Then you can do the transition of the patient into rehab, into fitness, into functional loading with Dr. Teeter's course. And what you would learn with Dr. Pape's quadrant analysis which is breaking the body down into traceable patterns. And that's going to show you how to, to make the diagnosis and find functional deficits and patterns to apply those other two seminars to see the results. So how do you analyze and examine the patient, not just in the first visit, but also each visit, test, treat, retest, see if there's an improvement. But the treat part, that's where the factor and the rehab, the fitness can kick in. All right, so that's a really long introduction. Also, a big thank you to Dr. Rob on the show, he mentioned uh, N equals one and that we have t-shirts with that actually on it. So if you visit a doctorsperspective.net slash t-shirts, you too could be the proud over of a N equals one shirt or some other chiropractic or Louisiana themed shirts. Really like this guy. We had a nice discussion after the interview as well. It's just, it's uh, just a really good guy. So I really appreciate him, appreciate his heart, appreciate what he's doing for the profession. Before we jump in, last week, our guest, Steve Anderson, who creates dental offices. He actually does the build out. If you didn't know about that, he has an amazing book and his episode discusses some of the pitfalls and things to look out for when building a clinic. Anyway, he had some nice things to say about me and the show. So we'll play that and then we'll we'll jump in. You do a great job of engaging and uh, keeping the excitement going and sometimes you kind of wonder if the the host is still there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested in any of the books that any of the past guests have mentioned, just go to a doctorsperspective.net slash book list. You can purchase those directly from Amazon and it'll help support the show with a little percentage coming to me. Okay. The transcript and all of the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash 174. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from Germany and New York, today on the show, we have a guy, Dr. Rob 
Pape. He's been around for a while and he's had practices in California and New York and Florida. And he actually jumps around. He spends time in both. And I, I don't know how he does that. But uh, somehow he has also found time to uh, create a analysis movement system called Quadrant Analysis and a few other fun things that he'll touch on. And so please welcome to the show, Dr. Rob Pape. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I am just excited because I was looking back at all the interviews that I've done. And as far as the, I guess, the forward thinking Cairo group that we have a, a part of, mm-hmm. we've had Factor and we've had Grip Teeter and, uh, and now yourself and a few other people here and there that have some kind of approach that's unique and different. And there's just, there's so much that we can learn. Sometimes we have to say, okay, what's the best for me, you know? Right. And so give us the breakdown of where you were and then how this kind of developed, and then we'll jump into some more specific questions and things. Okay. Quadrant analysis, which is what I, I call this approach, is, isn't a technique system. It's sort of more of a way of thinking and organizing uh, certain details. And it developed, well, I mean, I'm in my 24th year of practice now. Mm. My COVID brain thinks it's the 24th year. So I've been around for a while, and I've seen a lot. And I went to a subby school. Um, and while I was in that subby school, I did like a year and a half of the diplomat in neurology program. And then I got out of subby school and quickly realized that subluxation based care was only really, uh, meeting my patients where they wanted to be like 30% of them, hmm. right? Like it was only really fully helping maybe 30% of the people. And then it maybe it was partially helping another 20 to 30% of the people. And then there was like 40% of the people who, uh, they needed something else. And so I had to start figuring this stuff out and I'm old. So that this is pre internet, right? Oh. Like there's no resources that I could just go online and take courses and figure stuff out. Right. So, um, I dove into all the massage therapy books I could and, and trained with a bunch of massage therapists to learn soft tissue, uh, approaches. And then, I started working with an acupuncturist and then my brother and my sister both became acupuncturists. And so I got into that world some, and I know you, you uh, have a needling book that you, Correct. that you put out. Right. So, um, and then my wife became a personal trainer back in the early aughts and she was, you know, training under these amazing physical therapists, um, Michael Clark and, and Gray Cook and whatnot. And so I absorbed all of that information and now I'm working with these people and co- we're all combining this stuff and, Little by little over time, my approach to subclassifying patients and then my approach to practical mechanics developed little by little. But I was out on an island, chiropractically speaking, by myself because I was evidence-based guy in my mind uh, who thought through problems and tried to meet people where they were in this patient-centered way. My goal with a patient is their goal, right? So... My practice is very patient centered. People can see me for however, you know, whatever reasons they want to see me. Their goals are my goals, right? Which is crazy in the 80s and 90s. Right. And so I'm in Oakland, California, which is subby heaven. And it's, I just practice way differently than everybody else. So I don't have anybody to talk to about this stuff. And so I'm talking to other professionals, allied health professionals about this stuff. And I'm learning from them and they're learning from me. And I'm learning to talk across these different professions. And then, I got on to somebody, a, a, a doc in France, actually, told me about the FTCA. I'd never heard of it. In 2015, I believe this was. Mm-hmm. So I, I got on onto FTCA, and my whole world changed because I didn't realize there was a whole 
uh, a whole world of evidence-based practitioners who went to different schools and did things differently and looked at the body in different ways. And that was uh, spending time there over the years and being really involved in that in that group and, and putting my heart and soul in, into helping people and, and taking help, um, improving myself was an amazing benefit. I mean, right. what a what a what a resource to have. So I've I've lived in a num you know both of these worlds and and worlds in between with all these other practitioners and so I see both sides of it. Along the way, I I, uh, I started to teach. I wanted to teach in California. I wanted to teach some of the Life West kids some of the practical mechanics that uh, I utilize. And what, what I realized over time, and talking to more chiropractors, is nobody was seeing the body quite the way I was seeing it. And then, you know, I'm, I'm working with these kids from Life West and, and, you know, I'll ask them a question like, okay, well, you've got an Apley's under that's, uh, Apley's one that's, that's diminished on one side versus the other. And you've got on the opposite side, you've got an Apley's two or Apley's over that's diminished. What are you thinking, mechanically speaking? Like, how would you approach that? And their answer, like 100% of the time was, I'd adjust their subluxations. <laughs> and, and so th- then I'd ask them, well, what if this person is kind of tender everywhere? Or what if this person, you know, has tremendous pain, but uh, the range of motion is great. Mm-hmm. And their answer was blanket. Uh, I, I suggest their subluxations. Not do some deep tissue work, not do some instrument assisted, not do some rehab of some sort. It was just crack a bank. Right. And so I realized I needed to give these, uh, I mean, to me, they're kids, they're, they're, they're young adults. I, I, I hate when I do that. That's not only does it show my age, but like when I was younger, I hated when people do that. So I got to stop that. But anyways, um, I needed to give them a window into the physiology of people for whom adjusting isn't the primary thing problem. And they don't think that's the case. Like everybody will get better or maybe 10% won't. Right. Uh. Right. Or, you know, and then they go, oh, well, that's a limitation of matter. You know, they blame the patient a lot of times in those doctor centered mm-hmm. practices. I've been, I've, you know, early on. I interned and, and uh, had associateships in some of these high volume practices. Man. So anyways, that's little by little starting back in like 2015, 2016, I guess I had. Do you know who Noah Volts is? Noah Volts. Not yet. Uh, he, real smart guy. He, he was at Life West. He was a little active in, in FTCA. He had has his own podcast and thing on, on YouTube. He's, he's a smart guy. But anyways, he came to my office to shadow me and he's watching me and he goes, what are you doing in between patients? He's like, what the heck, what the heck is that? What are you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, you're combining a bunch of different types of manual therapy with exercise therapy and, and giving advice that like every patient that's come in here, you've treated them differently. And there seems to be some sort of method to this. Can you teach it? I was like, yeah, I guess so. Sure. To write some things down. <laughs> And that's how it started. So I give Noah Volts the credit. Okay. That's how it started. So then I started to codify things and put things together. And uh, that was an uncomfortable period. <laughs> yeah. Because then you're trying to like narrow it down. Like if you do this and you do this and this, this should happen. Well, crap, it didn't always do that. <laughs> right? Well, and Doc, just imagine – I mean, one of the things I, I, about quadrant analysis is that it's, it's all based on concepts. There's no cookie cutter to it at all. Oh, okay. The whole point is that it's not cookie cutter. I think what, what I'm teaching should be, should be taught in schools, quite honestly. It should be taught with diagnosis classes or right before diagnosis classes. Mm-hmm. 
and before and during while in student clinics so they can apply these concepts because the subclassifications relate to diagnoses, but the diagnoses, like I mentor uh, young doctors from, I caught myself there, young docs from evidence-based schools and their diagnosis is, their, their abilities, their skills are great, right. but they have no idea to, what to do when they get that diagnosis. And know a lot of techniques. Right. They know techniques and they know the diagnosis, but there's nothing bridging mm-hmm. the two. There's no there's no conceptual knowledge and, and practical knowledge bridging the two that they can say, OK, well, I see this patient and I'm going to put them in this basket in terms of their subclassification. That tells me about their physiology and it tells me kind of where I need to, to be thinking, mm-hmm. but it doesn't give me a cookie cutter protocol. It gives me ideas, which I can then trial and error. Right. Test, treat, retest. And then here's the mechanics where, OK, if I see a mechanical a mechanical issue within this subclassification, I can prioritize it one of two ways. So from my standpoint, it's got to be 100 percent practical. Yeah, it's got to be practical. I've taken so many courses that give amazing information, but then you leave those courses and you don't know what to do with that information. Would you say this is sort of if someone was into learning a system, whether it's SFMA or DNS and things, is this another category that they would want to investigate before they went to a seminar like these three are, oh, these are really good. Now, what do I do with it? Or would even factor for that matter? Is, are you like competing in a sense I, 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 with those people? No, 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 I'm not. And actually, my my course is split up in two locations. Okay. I have, for the states, I've got six hours of continuing education for the states, and I believe part of Canada, and, and some credits are available internationally through, and it's on Factor's site. It's with the Southeast Sports Seminar. So you guys typically like connect together. With the Riddles. Yeah. Well, uh, Todd Riddle, Dr. Riddle, mm-hmm. and I, we, you know, when, when last we talked, he's like, and we were talking about this course, he's like, man, I do my work because I'm just trying to make the profession better. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said to him. I go, look, man, putting all this work into, into this thing, it, it's not for my good. Right, right. <laughs> it's because I want docs to be better. I want us all to to be able to help that one extra person, mm-hmm. right? So from my standpoint, and a, a quadrant analysis, it can be, it's going to dovetail with whatever it is you do, whatever your skill set is. I mean, my wife uses these concepts, and she's a personal trainer, movement therapist. I know massage, I have massage therapists who use these concepts. They can't use all the things I teach because their scope is different. Mm-hmm. But for chiropractors and physical therapists, I think all of this stuff is applicable. But the fact of the matter is, is, is it's going to dovetail with, it's going to help you pick what tool to use in what situation so that you start out in the right place and then you can, you can branch out from there. So let's see this. If you go to Southeast Sports Seminars dot whatever dot com, I think. Mm-hmm. If you're just sort of someone who's like, I'm not that great at myofascial release. I've seen these bands. There's some new types where you wrap an arm. There's cupping. I'm not really sure what uh, instrument assisted. You could take the factor, learn all of the stuff. You could mm-hmm. you could take Dr. Teeter's rehab to fitness and, and learn how to actually take somebody from uh, an injury to recouping to fitness to all of that stuff, the rehab part. Yeah. But you still have that one piece missing. So maybe you're the piece that's missing to actually analyze what is going on with the exam so that now you can actually pick the stuff you learn from factor and from rehab to fitness and make it all work together. That's that's why Todd wanted my course. Okay, exactly. Okay, so you, you are exactly the person. Why. You're the you're the course that we need to have a starting point to evaluate. Because I saw your graphs, your pictures, and mm. uh, on on the which is nice. I mean, they blow up just enough, so I'm like, all right, what's going on here? <laughs> and the way I looked at it, I was like, okay, there's some shaded colors, shaded muscles, and some non-shaded muscles. And so I have got I'm guessing that 
if there's something going on, on this side, you may flip over these, these muscles you might want to consider and these muscles you would consider based on the presentation that they have. And so you may have to work on certain muscles within that quadrant to get the results that you're looking for. Yeah, or at least it gives you uh, pieces to the puzzle so you can start putting them together. I mean, at the end of the day, I want people to be able to think through problems and ask the right questions. I'm not giving anybody any – there's no cookie-cutter answers in practice, mm-hmm. right? So even the best diagnosis-slash-protocol combinations we have are only going to work for if – if 10 people come in with that and, and have that diagnosis, that cookie-cutter protocol is only going to work for so many of them. So let's do an example. 34-year-old female – office work. Maybe she's a lawyer. doesn't matter, but she gets headaches. Mm-hmm. What, what, sure. are we, what are we shooting for here? What are we looking at? Well, we want to figure out first, um, are they, so here's the four sub subclassifications. We want to set, we want to, with that person, I'm thinking, are they hypermobile? Do they have some sort of genetic joint hypermobility? I feel like this is the, this is a thing that is missed in chiropractic over and over and over again. They crack their own neck every day. And, or they want to come in and have you crack their neck over and over again because it just it relieves it even if it's just for an hour. Uh, so many of my and I I missed this for a long long time until I figured it out. Oftentimes they're the patients that want to come in two or three times a week to get that crack. But is that really what's best? What's what's going to serve them best? It's not. It's not. So we want to know. We want to know that. And we want to look for that. We want to see if they have systemic inflammation. And we have we define hypermobility and, and the systemic inflammation, which I call abdominal subclassification in, in quadrant analysis, partially because we do abdominal palpation is one of the clues mm. to see if uh, there's systemic inflammation amongst a number of others. We want to subclassify and see if they're in that area. And then from a mechanical standpoint, we want to we want to subclassify and see what's their motor control dynamic stability like? Are they just weak and we have muscles that are overcompensating? Or do they have good dynamic stability and they just have mechanical dysfunction without the other subclassifications and they're going to do great with manual therapy and adjusting. Most people have more than one subclassification. The easy cases get a little easier because you figure them out a little bit quicker, mm-hmm. hopefully. And the hard cases, and this is really where, where the, the, the rubber uh, meets the road for me, it's that 20, you know, every, You've heard this before. They're like 80 percent of the people who come in, you could slap them in the butt with a with a shovel and they'd get better. Right, right. Right. Well, okay. Well, what about that other twenty percent? And that's that's what I feel like. That's where we make our bones. That's where we, if we can excel with that twenty percent, we change the game. We we start to now you can build a practice just on that twenty percent because if you solve problems that nobody else had been solving, because mm-hmm. a lot of these people they've been around the block. They've they've, they've been. They've been to all the chiros and the physical therapists. And then by the time they show up into your office, you know, somebody made them go there because they've given up hope a lot of mm-hmm. times. And if you can help that person. Ooh. So you might be looking at a butt issue for a headache. It might be. You know, there's a great story that some of the old timers tell about Dr. Lewitt. OK. And Dr. Lewitt is examining this patient who has headaches and does this very thorough examination of their mus- musculoskeletal system. And then finds a spot in their left calf, puts a needle in it, and the headache goes away. I've heard some people talking about that. Right? There's that, you know, what we call regional interdependence now, that's a real thing. The whole body is interconnected. And it's really, really common that we're missing things if we're only looking at the area of chief complaint. And I, this is a, an issue we have in the evidence-based side of our profession where we've, we've become so laser-focused on the area of pain that we're not seeing the whole person. Not just mechanically, but otherwise as well, oftentimes. Because I think the subluxation people, they're going to do the flying seven. 
whatever they want to call it. So they kind of touch yeah. everything. And so sometimes this evidence, yeah. people are like, oh, no, no, no. You said low back pain. We're not going to go up to the shoulders and, and look at that. Right. It's not indicative. Right. And actually, if you have a system to evaluate somebody fully, then you can find out what that is. Absolutely. Okay. What would you say maybe some common hidden dysfunctions or things that we miss a lot that's like like you find like, ah, I work on these couple of areas and wow, it's just like magic. I'm the magic man because I do these couple things usually. The anterior part of the neck mm-hmm. is a magical location. If I had a patient who had chronic problems and they'd been to a lot of other chiropractors, I would bet that the anterior neck would be a good location. Are they too scared to work on those scalenes and clavicles and things? Yeah, longest coli, the longest capitis, I, you know, getting up in, un, under that jaw, mm-hmm. right? Like that. there's a lot of buried treasure in, in some different locations. And again, the whole body's in play, right? The, if Dr. Fay has taught us anything, it's that we're dealing with a closed kinematic system and everything affects everything else. If, you, if, if somebody's walking on an ankle that it has mechanical dysfunction, their gait's off, it can, it's going to affect the rest of their body, right? Yeah. If they're sitting behind a desk all day and they're mousing with their right hand and they get up and walk away and they're, they're short in their pronators on their right side and shoulder internal rotators, that's going to affect the rest of their body. And could that create back pain? It sure could be a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, the old timey subby chiropractors who were awesome, by the way, they were awesome. They, they were whole body. They weren't dogmatic. They were lifestyle oriented in a specific way, not in a come take my, you know, you have to bring, bring your spouse and come take these <laughs> classes. It was, it was patient centered yeah. in a different way back in the day before the, the practice management companies really took over in the nineties. But they, I, I remember these old timers would say to me, they'd say, if we could just figure out how like a system to find the primary area of dysfunction. And they use, they'd use subluxation as a term. And I'll use subluxation in my course because it's a synonym for mechanical dysfunction for a large part of the profession. Even sub, a lot of sub chiropractors, they, they just mean mechanical dysfunction. It's some sort of mechanical lesion, right? It's, it's an easy way to explain it. Yeah. That's, but that's what they'd say. If we could find this area, this primary area that unlocks the rest of the body, then where their pain is becomes easy. Mm-hmm. I think quadrant analysis moves us towards that. Okay. Quadrant analysis moves, moves us towards finding, uh, the hidden non-painful location that doesn't fit with the rest of the pattern of the body. That usually is an old injury where the pain just went away. They never had any treatment, but they'll be like, Oh yeah, I had really bad pain in that right hip for like two or three weeks, like two years ago. And then it just went away. And I'm like, okay, well, then what happened? Well, and then like six months later, this, this neck shoulder pain started and it hasn't gone away. And that was two, two years yeah, ago. Classic. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, but you, if you don't evaluate the whole body, you don't find that hip because they don't put it on their health history forms. They don't even remember. Cause then it, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. I was a, um, a big activator guy when I first got out of school for whatever reason. Mm. So that was going to be my, my niche working with people who were okay. afraid to get their neck twisted. It was okay. It actually worked well. I mean, I, I felt like the I, I used end up using like the um, impulse instruments versus the activator instruments. But anyway, mm-hmm. going through and taking these seminars and things, you know, they kind of touch on everything there. I kind of zoned in on some of the hip stuff, you know, internal external rotation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like some C five stuff, some T one stuff. Anyway, as I went on with my continuing education, I started re- going to some other seminars and like 
And people started mentioning hips, this area, that area. And I was like, y'all didn't know about this? I felt like it was my little one of my little hidden tricks to help so many people that they were struggling with. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm like the best chiropractor or anything, but there was just like little things that I was like, why are you struggling with that? And then like, oh my gosh, the hips. <laughs> it was like, yeah, the hips, of course. What are you talking about? I don't know. It just seemed right. It, it was kind of cool to, to experience that. Yeah. I mean, it's let's broaden our horizons a little bit. If anybody should be the masters of full body mechanics, it should be chiropractors and physical therapists. And I don't care if you're a movement based chiropractor. I don't care if you're a manual therapy based physical therapist that, you know, there's so much crossover between the professions now. But we should understand basic subclassification physiology and we should understand practical mechanics at a level like nobody else. It should be it should seem magical what we do. What we do should seem magical to people. Yeah. That's how good we should be at it. And it shouldn't be accidental. Let me ask you this. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be throw a dart at throw a dart at the wall and see if you hit the right. Right. We should have a thought process to it. Compared to like a brand new graduate versus someone who's out been, say, six or seven years, how long would it take to get good at QA? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it, the course is in its infancy. So I have people who've been studying it for a little over a year now. They're sort of my beta test people. And some of them are doing just extraordinarily well with it. And it's, you know, Every, every, you know, every, every two or three days, we have a discord group that we discuss things in, discuss things in. And every two or three days, they, you know, they come in and, and describe a case and they're like, I would have never have, I would have never have seen this this way. And I would have probably, you know, spent four to six weeks doing this, this or that. But because I see it differently now, in the first visit, I was able to give them relief that there's no way I would have been able to give them before. And then they came back and that relief stayed and, you know, like stuff like that. So, I think if somebody did the course and uh, really took it on, I think a year is reasonable. So there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve with what you're doing, but implement as you go. Absolutely. It's, 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 I think the hardest part about it is we are conditioned to think the way we were taught to think in school. And we want cookie cutter. We don't want to think. We want easy answers. And I, I really don't have easy answers. What I have are easy ways to ask better questions. Okay. Questions that lead to a hypothesis, that can lead to a trial, that can lead to an immediate reevaluation of that trial, and you can progress more quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm a dogged practitioner. Like, I want to solve problems, and I want to solve them as quickly as I can. I, I grew up playing competitive sports. I'm a really competitive person uh, in certain realms in my life. And my practice is where I compete. And I'm always trying to get better, faster, um, and more valuable. And that's what I want for people. I want them to, um, what, the, what they used to do in a month time frame and consider maybe a week time frame. Yeah, I was about to ask you, what, how, like, how long are your visits? Are we talking 10 minute visits, 30 minutes? Uh, it depends. Can it be insurance based? Like, will we have enough time to do all of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, the style of practice that you have doesn't really matter. Okay. You can do trial and error however you do it. You you know, I, I had a practice in California that was more insurance based. And so I saw three or four people in an hour and I'd see people two or three times a week up front. But my trials would always be two weeks uh, max. And I'm reevaluating really on every visit. OK, because some people seem like they have really long treatment times each time. You're like, 
how do you stay open? Because insurances typically don't pay for that many rehabs for a chiropractor per visit. So like you're kind of limited on what you can do per day, per hour, and we have to have bills to pay too. Absolutely. You can take the, the knowledge, the, the QA ideas and, and, and knowledge, you can apply it in that type of practice, or you can apply it in a in more of a boutique type of practice, which is what I have in New York. I do by time in New York. I'll do 30, 45 minutes, 60 minutes. I'll have people book me up for up to an hour and a half. It works well in this setting too. It's One isn't really better than the other. I've had some cash practice PTs before on the show. I had a whole series on them. One of the drawbacks they said about having time is if they paid for 60 minutes and you're like, this dude only needed 15. <laughs> now yeah. you're in a, some of the people would say an ethical dilemma. Do you cut them loose or do you make it go for an hour or do you find that uh, <laughs> you kind of dictate, I only booked you for 30 minutes because we had an hour last week and you really made some progress. So I don't expect to need the more than that time with you. Uh, if we, if, if somebody books an hour and it's clear that they don't need an hour that day, then they pay me for whatever they need. Uh, you know, I'm not, we're not going to do 10 more kettlebell swings. You know, no, no, okay. it's not, I'm not, a, I'm not a rep counter at all. My practice is much more manual therapy based than it is movement therapy based. I do rudimentary uh, movement therapy with my with my patients, but if people need uh, an, a more intense movement therapy scenario, I have people that I that I, that I co-manage with. But you could have both. I could. If somebody was really into it, they're like, yeah, yeah, we have to do a little bit of this, but that's the first two weeks, and then we're going to switch into the active rehab part with the QA system at play. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so if if ten ten different people come in to see me with low back pain. They're going to get 10 different things. And if the same person comes to see me 10 different times with low back pain, they're probably going to get 10 different things on 10 different visits. Okay. I'm, I'm assessing people where they are. I'm treating them there. I'm evaluating for changes. And then I'm moving forward based on what I've seen, whether yeah. there's improvement or not, mechanically uh, in terms of performance or, or function. Yeah. A golfer with low back pain versus a, a construction worker with low back pain, they're going to need different right. treatments based on what they're trying to do. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, and, you know, 10 different golfers with low back pain might need 10 different protocols. Now, there's going to be a commonality there, obviously, but they, they're still, they're all individuals. We got to, what is, what is it, N equals one is, is, is what we got to be thinking yeah. every time somebody comes in the door. I, I, I try not to, and this is hard for all of us, me included. I try not to assume things based on, they don't judge the book by its cover kind of thing. Right, right. Because that's, that's where I get like, Oh gosh, we've gotten two weeks into this care and I completely missed a detail of this person's history or uh, their their physiology because I didn't examine them fully because I just assumed that mm -hmm. they're like the, the last person I saw who came in that was this demographic that does this for work or this for for sport. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm trying. I'm hopefully trying to move people away from that and put put people in very in individual boxes rather than group boxes. Yeah. And if you do want to judge a book by a cover or a T-shirt, I do have N equals one T-shirts for sale. Oh, do you? I do. I need to know about this. Yeah, I have some uh, some designs. I've got like a an atlas and a N equals one and a few other like cutesy mixed tours. Like, you know, they call us a Cairo mixed tours. So I have some shirts uh, with that on there. They're not like big bestsellers or anything like that. But if someone was on breadshirt.com, they would they could find some stuff that I've created. Anyway, I, I, I feel like I, I absolutely need an N equals one shirt. Yeah, I'll send you a link. <laughs> thank, thank you. Please do. You just you just you just made a sale, my friend. <laughs> Before or after somebody takes this, 
would they need to take any technique classes or would you recommend anything before and after? We kind of already touched on um, the Southeast sports seminars that they have available, but anything that you're like, hey, you should definitely have at least this as your. No, I think, like I said, I think this should be taught in school. Okay. I, th- I think this should be, I think this should be pre-technique. Couldn't we just have one class and try eight or nine where it like mashes up your system and somebody else's system and you get like three weeks of each to expose people to this stuff? Well, I think if you understand what I'm what I'm teaching, then all this other stuff becomes much easier to put into practice and you understand how to use it in a slightly different way that will make it more efficient. I'm I'm really just trying to create efficient practitioners at this point. Yeah. All these techniques are, are amazing. They're you know, this this isn't a technique like I mean, the stuff that Todd Rill is teaching is that's genius level stuff. Yeah. But he even said to me, he's like, from a mechanical standpoint, what you're teaching is going to help my people do better with my technique. Mm. That's, you know, that's that that was sort of the conversation we had. And I was like, high praise. I, yeah, really high praise, because that guy is way smarter than I am. Have you talked to Benjamin Fergus or Dr. Fergus before with the oh, grip technique? Yes, <sighs> yes, yes. Another super. That guy's on another plane. Of Dude, that guy. Wow. Yeah, you got to take his smart. classes probably twice. <laughs> super duper smart. You know, it's really interesting. Like when I was trying to codify this stuff and and honestly, codifying the work that one does, like watching yourself work while you're working is a really disconcerting process to go through. Why did I do that again? (laughs) Right. And honestly, I, I felt like I was cheating my patients because my attention wasn't fully with them because I, it, it was me examining myself. Mm. While I'm doing it, like imagine if you're a baseball player and you're and you're while you're swinging, you're evaluating your own swing. You're not going to be as good at it. You're overthinking it, too, at that point. Yeah. You've got to be in that moment. You've got to get into a, a you know, a flow state mm-hmm. where you're not thinking you're just you're, you're you're using muscle memory. Right. And there's a thing in practice where we get when we get good at this, a lot of stuff becomes we make connections that we don't even think about. It's something we haven't thought about for like months or years. Yeah, it just comes right? back. So Massey, Dr. Mike Massey and I put together practice mechanics during during this pandemic here. And Mm. uh, it's a resource site for chiropractors. It's inexpensive. It's twenty nine bucks a month. I've got the rest of my practice mechanics stuff on there. So I've got six hours with with the Southeast Sports Seminar folks. And then I've got another like 12 hours on practice mechanics. And then Michael Massey has all his administrative stuff. Ooh. And then we've got a bunch of other uh, practitioners who have given us great stuff. Chris Chippendale has, has given us some patient uh, communication stuff, uh, a series on patient communication. We have a, um, a concussion series and a neurological exam series and, and rehab stuff from Trevor Shaw. It's just really cool stuff by smart people. But so in this time, Dr. Massey, who's been in practice longer than I have, 30 years, he's been studying quadrant analysis. Hmm. And he comes to me one day and he goes, quadrant analysis has tied things together for me that were disparate in my practice that I didn't see connected. And it's making me more efficient because of it. And he's 30 years in practice. And he's a really, I mean, yeah. he's, a, he's a very successful practitioner. So it's not just for the new docs. It's also for we're connecting dots. Yeah, here. it's also for uh, I, have, I have docs who are, you know, eight, 10 years in practice who are in the same boat where they're like, oh, OK, well, I've taken all these soft tissue management courses and I've t- taken these movement about they could just be bored like they could at, be you know they're just doing the same thing for the last three years and like man I gotta I gotta do something for myself because I'm just getting so bored in here what can I do and then you start approaching things that a different way I feel like people start to plateau with with what they have we all do 
mm-hmm. and we want to learn a new thing and we should like, you know, I'm still learning new stuff all the time. You can't stop learning. And I, I feel like the, at the end of the day, if I can help people utilize the skills they've already spent time, energy and money to learn, practice and perfect, if I can make those skills 10% more useful, 20% more useful, then I've done my job. If they can help one or two extra patients a week, if not 10 or 20 extra mm-hmm. patients a week that they wouldn't have helped unless it, they got lucky, then I've definitely done my job. Then I've definitely uh, quadrinalysis has definitely gotten me, gotten us as a profession where I want, where I want us to go. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Urson Religioso, the physical therapist with modern manual no. therapy? He put out a lot of different products and, and we were working together for like the uh, one sheets and the CVs that I do. And he's like, hey, man, I want to give you a course, which one you want. And he had like an upper lower extremity, 12 to 18 hour class and just all this crazy stuff. And he just kind of um, muscle work. And I was really interested in that. But instead, I took the blood cuff restriction course, which was a okay. much smaller, much less expensive, less hours. But I was interested in it. And the point being, when you're interested, you have to take continuing ed anyway. Take something you care about or are interested about. Don't just yeah. go to your state association and knock them out on one weekend and not care at all. <sighs> yeah. Be passionate yeah. I mean, about it. I get it. I get it. You know, I mean, a lot. I, th- I feel like a lot of people, they're so busy that to take the time to learn something is really challenging yeah, these, yeah. these days. People are overwhelmed. They're they, to, to, to use a, a, a pain science metaphor, their cup is full, right? Mm-hmm. So the easy, cheap credits, just yeah. to check the, the box, I get it. I really do. And if you have a little bit of bandwidth, then yeah, I agree with you. You got, you got to take something that is going to stretch your mind a little bit mm-hmm. and hopefully give you something that's valuable that you can take back to your practice uh, maybe not that next week, but something that you can continue to study so that when you start to have the aha moments with it, and that's my favorite part with the folks who are studying, the docs who are studying quadrinalysis is when they come to me and they go, oh, you know, I had one the other day go, pain in the presence of, of good range of motion is is a sign of hypermobility. Oh, or, uh, you know, like, a pain in multiple locations, recurrent, uh, doesn't seem to follow any sort of pattern, tender to the touch in much multiple locations. Exercise and manual therapy can oftentimes make the pain worse. Oh, that's, that's systemic inflammation. That's abdominal subclassification. And I could palpate their abdomen and that might help me explain it to the patient better. So I get buy-in from them to, to, to maybe we're not just going to adjust away this pain. Maybe there's something lifestyle oriented. Uh, you know, I'll give I'll give the subbies cr- credit. M- many of them focus on lifestyle really mm-hmm. nicely, but they focus on lifestyle the same way for every patient that comes in. Yeah. Not every patient needs the same. It sells vitamins, though. <laughs> it does sell vitamins. That's the truth. <laughs> I work. I worked. I worked in a practice uh, my my first year out of school. Man, this guy sold thousands of dollars of vitamins a month. Unbelievable. This chiropractor recommends this product on the MLM. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. There's always somebody that's good at selling. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was a thing. It was, it was disturbing to watch. But anyways, yeah, the, the, it's, it's those aha moments that, right. that, that are best for me. The, 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 where they, they see it and they see it in a patient and they go, that's the first time I've recognized that. 
and I only recognize it because I took your course and now I'm able to help this person. And I know looking back just in the last month, I've had three or four other people like that and I completely missed the boat on it. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have those folks back. Let's switch gears a little bit. This is the sure. last part of the interview where we kind of switch gears completely. You have your own clinic. Your wife has a clinic. Let's just call it that a practice okay. of some sort. Sure. Sure. How do y'all market? We don't. Okay. We don't, we don't market. It's, it's, we're all word of mouth. Word of mouth. At this point. Okay. We're all word of mouth. Yeah. All right. What about the uh, stuff that you're doing, the, the, the QA, the practice mechanics, anything for that? Uh, well, we're, we're about to start marketing, you know, just with organic stuff on social media. We have a, a marketing person we brought aboard. Okay. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll do talks and stuff. I, I'm doing your, your, your podcast, you know. Exactly. It, it, so we'll get exposure, you know, organically as much as possible, hopefully. Okay. okay so this one, typically we have some kind of significant other. Maybe we have kids. But people make success, they get divorced, and then they don't see their kids, they lost half their wealth. How do or what can we do to keep the love alive? I love that question. That's a great question. You know, my, my wife and I have been to couples therapy. And uh, whenever we get emotional about a thing that really we need to be talking about um, calmly, he'd look at us and go, okay, now, stay there, but slow it down. And so my mantra and my this has been my mantra actually in, in practice too, is slow it down, slow it down and feel the sensation inside your body and feel the thought that's connected to that sensation and see what's going on. in it. Because a lot of times the thing you're upset about isn't about the other person. It's yours. And if you can own that, you can communicate better and uh, with yourself first but then with your partner as well and hopefully have a better chance at success. Relationships are so hard. Cause we say some stupid things sometimes in the moment. Well, you know, we have bad habits. We mm-hmm. were, you know, we were, we were, we were all brought up by people who are, who are human and flawed and have blind spots in their, their emotional intelligence. And that's where our blind spots live, generally speaking. And, and if we can figure those things out, we'll be better. Spouses will be better practitioners, will be better friends, will be better business partners. Yeah, slow it down. Very good. Vacation? Y'all got different schedules? Y'all live in different cities sometimes? Like, are y'all able to ever get away? <laughs> you know, it, this move that we made to Florida from California was supposed to be like early retirement, where she just works from home. She does all virtual trainings now um, with her, her clients. And I'm, I was just going to be, you know, in, in New York you know, two long weekends out of a month to work. So I'm working, you know, six, eight, 10 days a, a month. Oh. Um, yeah, right. That's great. <laughs> yes. I think, I think vacation is really important. And, and, um, it's something that in our profession, we're such hard workers, generally speaking, that we don't take time for ourselves. We don't plan vacations and we really need to and plan them in, in advance. Mm-hmm. Before our cup is overflowing, we, not, we need to plan these things out to give ourselves breaks. These, this is the advice we give to our patients. We should use it for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, vacation for sure. Sick days, like chiropractors will – and I don't know if after the pandemic anybody's ever going to do this again. Uh, hopefully not. But chiropractors – and I've been guilty of this too. Ah, it's, just a, it's, just a, it's just a cold. No big deal. You know? Borderline flu in the clinic. <laughs> right. I've been guilty of that. Never again. I will never, ever do that again. But take time off. Take time off. Build a practice and a lifestyle 
and have your monthly nut, your, your, your expenses, your living expenses be low enough that you built in this time to rehumanize yourself so that you can be a better person and a better practitioner. Because if you're constantly burnt out, you're not, yeah, man. I mean, what, what are we doing? Why I'll tell you this. I've patients here in Germany. You know, they'll ask sometimes, like, oh, you were in China and stuff? And we'll talk about COVID and everything. Mm-hmm. The thing about China, probably because they're so packed and, like, you know, there's so many people. If you get sick, you still got to go to work, of course. So you wear a mask on the train. <laughs> yeah. It, some people wear the mask because they're afraid to get sick from other people who maybe weren't so con- self-conscious. So yeah. it's not uncommon to see people wearing a mask. And, of course, when I was in the hospital, not everybody wore a mask, but there were – Certain um, types of doctors, you know, the specialties that you'd always mm-hmm. would wear a mask in front of patients and everything. Yep. So it got really normal for me. And I was just glad not to have to wear them. And then when COVID hit, it's like, eh, you know, okay. It wasn't so uncommon for me. And I'm like, have you noticed how few people have been sick this year? Yeah, they said that the, the, the medical doctors have said, we have, we have a, a client in California. My, my wife trains uh, weekly. She's a, a, a hospitalist. So she directs a whole hospital. She's like, she's like, our, our flu caseload this year was basically nothing. Imagine that. Right? Yeah. Imagine that. And I'm, in, I'm here in New York and on the street and in the subway, some 90% of people are wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, things aren't quote unquote over here yet. Mm-hmm. Folks are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. My hope is that we adopt some of these things uh, a little bit more as a, as a regular habit, like, like they do in China. You know, they're like, they open up, they don't have to wear but guess what? That yeah. means you still can wear it. It's not saying you can't. It's just saying that you don't have to. So if you want to wear it, you can wear it. Yeah. I mean, it's just a piece of cloth over your face. You know, if if if, if God forbid you have to go in and get brain surgery and it's a it's a 12 or 14 hour surgery, the, all the people operating on your brain have been wearing a mask the whole time, that whole day. Yeah. And that whole time while they're working on you, it's not going to hurt you. It doesn't rob you of life. <laughs> it's just. It's to me, it's a kindness thing. It's like even if you're not afraid of getting the virus or afraid of getting sick, well, be kind for other people so that maybe even if you're carrying it, you're not going to potentially pass it on to somebody else. That's that's really it from from my standpoint is it's kind of a kindness meter like mm-hmm. that. I think we can get better at as a, as a culture. I tell you this. I was at the park. Maybe I was at the park. Hmm. No, I want to self-incriminate myself here. But uh, in the park, <laughs> you're supposed to wear a mask. And uh, if you don't wear a mask and the police catch you. That's a potential 140 euro fine. That's that a are big a little, fine. That things are a little different in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not so much here. No. Not so much like that there. But I was like, oof. Uh, anyway, so last question. Last question. Books. Anything that you think we should look at? It could be relationships, marketing to business, or chiropractic, whatever you want. No, you know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the slow it down thing, right? Okay. So most of the self help books that you end up reading. And any good book on technique, any good course on tech is about a self-evaluation, right? And you can't evaluate yourself unless you're slowing it down. So when I was in California, not only was I teaching uh, students quadrant analysis ideas and, and, and practical uh, um, sort of information, but I was also teaching manual therapy, adjusting and all this type of stuff. And we, we all want to rush to the end. We all want to rush to the end. We want to be great adjusters today. I'm good at adjusting. I was good when I came out of school, but 24 years in, I'm way better. We all we all have levels, right? Yeah. And we can't rush ahead. And I, I want us to, to, when you're having a problem in 
with with your relationship, if you're not agreeing on something and you can't possibly fathom where your partner is coming from, if you have a patient that's stumping you, slow it down. Be a little bit more introspective, a little bit more evaluative. See if you're missing something. Start over. Give yourself the time to do that and build that time into your life so that it's a regular thing that you do. And you evaluate your diff- the different areas of, of your life that way. And as you get better at slowing it down, it bleeds into all those areas. Dr. Pape, ladies and gentlemen. Another great interview has ended. While you're on your phone, click that review button. Write up a nice review for me. Five stars if you could. As everyone says in the industry, it'll help other people to find us when we have enough rankings. Not to mention, I'll mention you and your review on an upcoming episode. If you follow me at all on Instagram, you know you only get one link. So I use a link tree. And so it's a doctorsperspective.net slash links with an S. And that's going to give you everything you need to know. The top episodes of 2017 and 2018, the podiatry series, dentist, acupuncture series, holiday 2017, financial series, how to write a review, how to support the show like buying a cup of coffee getting swag like t-shirts, the Today's Choices Tomorrow's Health book, that's the blueprints for better health, exercise, picking food correctly, and financial. And then, of course, bundle packs, which can get you the no-needle acupuncture book, 40 common conditions, including the electric acupuncture pin, at a great deal. The resources page has some of the products that I like. It's affiliate style, so if you buy something from them, I get a piece of that. Just like on the show notes pages, if you buy a book from clicking that link, I get a small piece of that as well. So I really appreciate that. Things like Screencast-O-Matic, Pure VPN, Missing Letter, JLab Speakers, ProLone Edge or Hawk Grips. Uh, once again, if you do need any coaching on how to improve some of your blood work, drop weight, and the ProLone Diet, Fast Mimicking Diet, 5-Day Plan, let me know as well as if you just need some coaching, whether it's health, whether it's marketing, whether you need some practice growth, etc. Reach out. Facebook, Justin Trosclair, MCC. Of course, at a doctorsperspective.net on the top right, you got all the social media icons that you can imagine. Click your favorite and reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tell a friend, pass it along. You can go to .net slash listen. It's just that easy. It'll open up right in your app. And don't forget, I appreciate you. Listen, critically think, and integrate. See you on the mini-sodes on Thursdays and Saturdays. Hope you're enjoying those. I'm definitely having fun summarizing these podcasts in less than 10 minutes for you. You get the nuggets without having to waste your time. Have a great week. A doctor's perspective. Learn stories of success. Avoid struggles they've met. Doctors of all kinds come to Shine, so sit back, take it in, and it's great.